Hey friends, welcome to The Rift, Enlightenment Within the Divide. I'm your host, Sam Denning. Joining us today is my friend Steve Casey. Um, Steve, uh, we look forward to having this conversation with you, and we're just going to talk about whatever floats our boat today. So listeners, enjoy the conversation. Steve welcome man glad to be here yeah man I've been trying to get you on here for a couple months but this uh, whole COVID business and my kid going back to school has made it a little bit tough because I can usually only do interviews at the late the late night hours yeah and uh, I would have definitely been up for that if not for the fact that uh, I don't think my wife would have been up for that I know but uh, luckily we've after this golf scramble we've uh, managed to catch an afternoon yeah, we did the Boy Scout golf scramble this morning, starting at about 7.30, and we did pretty decent, but I think other teams cheated, <laughs> and we ended up losing. Uh, they didn't cheat. They just added a f- they just took a few points away from themselves. That's all they did. Yeah, exactly. So, you and I talk politics pretty frequently, and I occasionally delve into politics in these podcasts, but this podcast, we may go into it a little bit more deeply. Yeah, definitely. I- I hear a lot of people say they'll never vote for Donald Trump because they don't like the man. What do you think about that? You mean as in his personality? Or I assume like, that's what they mean. Or the way that he talks or all the above. All the above. Well, uh, that I think um, if that's your biggest hang up, then yeah, that would definitely put you off on uh, uh, President Trump. Because uh, he, he, he's definitely kind of a blustering. Uh, he is, I, I think even his top supporters would agree that he's kind of a narcissist. Um, and he, he definitely definitely loves himself and the sound of his own voice. Uh, he, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of negative stuff to say about him in terms of his personality. But um, I keep hearing like these anecdotal stories. I mean, obviously... Uh, just like the story where he uh, uh, apparently said that uh, our war dead are losers, like these stories can't be completely corroborated. But um, I've heard a lot of anecdotal stories where he just is incredibly nice to people that he just directly interacts with who have helped him or have been associated with him in some way or another. Um, And one thing that I like about the way that he blusters all the time is that he's very meritocratic. Um, there's that Netflix documentary on him. And uh, you notice that uh, the the lady that he put in charge of Trump Tower in New York City uh, was a woman, obviously, and that's in charge of a construction project. And he did so, like, in spite of his dad. He did so in spite of people telling him that that was not a good idea. But he wanted somebody who he felt was competent, who would get the job done and get it done well. And uh, gender, race, et cetera, none of that stuff stopped him one way or the other. And I think that's pretty admirable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, back to what you said about the um, 
you know, in recent news about the comments that Trump supposedly made calling our war dead over in, you know, losers, that was actually not corroborated whatsoever. Every single person in attendance in that meeting said that he never said that. Well, they were <coughs> trusted sources. Yeah, of, co- of course. Uh, Unverified, but trust, they might lose their job. Meaning, I need to write an article so someone said that well, Trump said this. Well, yeah, that'll get you hired at CNN. Yeah, that's great news. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, but um, along those lines, you know, I've been hearing things, too, that, you know, part of the things to have some upheaval in the country, and I'm using lighter terms, but is to have a military that doesn't totally back their leader and, um, you know, telling, uh, you know, getting many members of our military to believe that our president says that people that die are losers kind of divides the military if they believe that narrative, which is obviously garbage because it didn't actually happen. But... If you only listen to one media source um, and you don't hear any other ones, it it did happen according to you, um, you know. And that's where I've I've made comments in the past that, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a noise? Yeah, exactly. And I've told you this, right? Yeah. If yeah. if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a noise? The same thing is true about facts and reality. If something is true and exists, but you never hear it, is it true? And I would argue that no, it's not true. Because if you never hear it, if your news media never tells it to you, then it is not a truth in your reality. Therefore, if you never hear any other alternatives, and this works for conservative and progressive liberal-leaning medias, um, it's always best to find the truth in maybe in the middle. But the thing about Trump calling the people losers over there is completely bogus. Like it's been, you know, everybody that was with him and made it involved in making the decision has, has been proven that it was uh, made up. Yeah. Um, I know at least a little bit about aviation. Um, I'm actually in the process of getting my part one Oh seven to fly my drone commercially and, um, in order to pass that test, you have to learn a lot of things that you don't need to know about drones, you, things that you have to know about actual manned fixed wing aircraft, etc. And one thing about helicopters is, um, if you don't, not just helicopters, but any kind of, um, manned aircraft is if you don't have a certain amount of visibility, then you're not going to be clear for takeoff. And as I understood, that was the main holdup was because the weather was poor while he was there. And that makes perfect sense because think about what happened to uh, uh, LeBron. Not LeBron, Kobe. Sorry. Uh, Kobe. LeBron's been on the news so much that he was on the tip of my tongue. Um, but, yeah, think about what happened to Kobe several months back. Uh, they they flew at a time that was completely inappropriate to fly a helicopter weather-wise. And that sparked a huge, huge tragedy. Um, and I, such a huge tragedy that I got the na- guy's name wrong. But uh, <laughs> like I said, he's been all over the news here recently, and that's why I was thinking LeBron. But yeah, that's just one of those things where it just wasn't the safe idea. 
And I think that uh, keeping the president of the United States alive and safe is a lot more important than a ceremonial visit to a cemetery. Um, and maybe they just didn't have time for the, for a, making a whole limousine trail to get there. So either way it goes, like if you were there, you were there. If you weren't, you weren't. And I'm, I'm going to defer to the guys who were there and say that it's a load of crap. Um, I'm definitely going to defer to them over CNN because I, if CNN told me water was wet and the sky was blue, I would have to run the tap for a couple of hours to verify. And then I would have to stand outside and watch the sky just, just to make sure. Cause I would think that my whole life has been a lie. If CNN said so, you know, what's sad is I would say, you know, a couple of years ago that, um, that's absurd. But here these days, I, to- I totally agree with everything you're saying because almost everything that comes out of their uh, programming or whatever is I literally would have to do mental gymnastics to be able to make it make any sense in my reality. Right. And I, I mean, I would have to literally take a take a knife and cut my brain in half and then turn it around and mix it and bake it and do a couple other things, stick it back in my skull and put it back together and then go, oh, no, that's sense. how it makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the thing is, is that um, that's that should be embarrassing. It should be. Um, I like that you're using the word reality so much because that's that's really what it comes down to is we're living in a split reality at the moment you have um you have this one reality where uh, trump is leading the fourth reich um where he's uh, this horrible awful racist person who always says mean things and does awful things and uh where it would be better to watch the economy sink than to watch trump have a good day and you have this other reality where you know it's real. <laughs> I guess that's the only really word I can use for it is the real reality where, you know, Trump says dumb things sometimes and uh, he definitely disparages people probably unnecessarily in some cases. And he's gotten a lot better about that. Yeah. And he does sound like a buffoon. Sometimes he sounds like a buffoon, but I, I look at results. Uh, I mean, like if we're going off of who was a good talker in that case, yeah, Obama was great. He was a great talker. But that's all he was, was a great talker. I voted for him the first time around. And after a few years, like, you know, dropping bombs from drones on civilians and then calling the military age to justify it. And then the Benghazi mess happened. Like, well, that was attributed a lot to, uh, uh, well, I, I want to say, first of all, that I have no intent of killing myself, but um, that could be attributed to Hillary Clinton. Um and all that sort of stuff happened under Obama. And it's like hope and change. You know, you, you did another bailout. You, you dropped bombs on people. You were just Bush again. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that disillusioned me pretty hard. Um, and I remember whenever they tried to put Romney up against him. And I thought, I, I can't vote for this guy either. He's just Obama with an R next to his name. Um. So I wrote in Ron Paul uh, because I was 
really hoping Ron Paul would get the nomination for that one because I thought he was the best guy for the job. And I, I, I still think Ron or Rand Paul, like that would be who I would take over Trump at the moment, personally. But, um, yeah, the, uh, going back to what you said, that there are two separate, like, that you keep on using the word reality. There really are two separate realities, and that's that just makes things extra confusing for people. Uh, it Before the media just latches on to every single lie, and then they just watch what each other reports, and they report on what each other reports, and it's just a big circle, you know, uh, of reporting the same story, and it's all bunk. And then, you know, you got other people who are trying to, trying to, hunt through the mix, I guess, and trying to find the truth, which, you know, whenever we were, whenever this COVID pandemic first started, uh, we were kind of standing on opposite sides, not opposite, but I was standing about two steps to the left and you were standing two steps to the right. And I think that both of us were misattributing or misrepresenting, Mm -hmm. uh, our thoughts of each other's opinions. Of during that time. But I want, I do want to say you did slide a little bit further my direction. I, I did pretty quick. Thank you. Uh, I, I mean, like, <laughs> ultimately, yeah, I moved to your direction. Like, I still feel justified in how I felt at the time because back then uh, it was supposed to be a real short-term lockdown to flatten the curve, and then things would go back to normal in a common-sense kind of way. And that obviously didn't happen. And so uh, as soon as uh, the George Floyd mess started, you had these Black Lives Matter protests going on around the country, and then I guess that's okay. I, well, I guess let me let me ask you. Yeah, I agree with that. But do you think Black Lives Matter? Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think about these rioters? Like the people when you watch the news and you see towns and cities in your country burning to the ground, and then you see one party. I hate to say it, but it's the Democratic Party. They seem to say in the midst of this, let's defund the police. Okay, so like, I'm not necessarily saying, I don't want to go so far as to say, these rioters are definitely Democrats. They're probably all losers, and they were losers before the pandemic, and they were looking to latch on to something, um, and it was easy. But from a political standpoint, because I do understand politics, you know, the conservatives attached the rioters to the Democrats very easily, whether they're Democrats or not, because the Democrats are sitting here screaming to the loudest, uh, screaming to the hills, defund police. So if you're if you are a party that's screaming defund police, and you got rioters burning down cities, then inherently the general population is going to believe that whoever is doing that sides with your party. You see what I mean? So they varied the, the the conservatives have done a very good job of connecting them, whether they, that is true or not. Well, they've done a very good job of connecting themselves to it. Well, yeah, by making these statements, making these statements and giving tacit support. But well, no, and here, here's what I want to say, you know, and this is a quote from Winston Churchill, actually during world war two, an appeaser is one who feeds a crocodile hoping it will eat him last. Yeah, I, I've heard that quote recently, and that's And I think it's apt. very apt. Yeah. You give in to these people, and when you really think about it as a political party, why are you giving in to them as a Democrat? Why? 
so you can hold your power as long as possible until finally you have no power and you get eaten. They are doing whatever they can to hold on to their power and throw whoever possible under the bus right now by appeasement. You don't like this? Okay, okay, we'll end this. You don't like that? Okay, 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 we'll end that. You don't like this? Whatever, what else, what other possible grievance do you have will remedy it? And every time they remedy one thing, the goalposts move further back. Yeah, so like the signs that people put on there, and Ben Shapiro has talked about this, but the signs people put in their front yard, you know. If I have to put a sign in my front yard that tells you that I believe black lives matter and I believe that humans matter and I believe that science is real, I'm sorry, I'm a total idiot. That is obvious. Yep. About 99.9999% of all people should agree with that. I should not need to state it. Yeah. The second I state it, I'm doing nothing but virtue signaling. Yes, and that that's the key. I am saying I believe this, and whoever reads it, if you don't have it, you don't. Yes. I'm sorry, but all of these are pretty much baseline beliefs, and if you don't think they are, you're just thinking that and thinking you're better than every other person. That, that's because obviously that I think black lives matter. Obviously I think we need to end racism. Obviously I think humans are not illegal. Obviously I think science is real. Do I need to go out every single day and scream it? Nope. Which I view a yard sign to be. If you put a yard sign out, you're telling people at all times that read it. That is your statement. A.K.A. you are literally saying it out loud to whoever can read the sign. Well, you also got to remember some of the people who put these signs up, they do it to, um, I guess, kind of protect their business or their home from these people. Yeah, I just think it's uh, bogus. It is. I'm not saying they don't believe it, but if you believe it, why do you have to say it? Well... I, I think that there was a part of the Bible that talked about this sort of thing where uh, I don't know how the scripture goes, but I know that the gist of it is uh, don't sing of your um, of your virtue to other people. Uh, just quietly go help people. And I think that it was to go in the face of the Pharisees. Um, does this sound of pretty familiar to you. I know that you're a lot more well-versed in the Bible than I am. Yeah, it sounds very familiar to me. But uh, at the very least, I, I think that that story, well, not story, but that happening is very applicable today because uh, people are just so desperate to look superior by acting like they're so very moral. Um, and that it, it is just virtue signaling. And none of it makes any sense when you get right down to it. Because if you really care about black lives, then, uh, I don't know, do something for them. Don't just put up a sign that says Black Lives Matter. And I don't really think that ending racism is even possible because at that point you're you're trying to get into people's heads and change how they think. That's, that's brainwashing. Um, what we ought to do is demonize racism. Well, I think the way that you can end racism is to change the definition, which in the last six months, the definition of what is racism has probably changed 30 times. So why can't we just change it to something that it no longer exists? Just change the definition of what racism is so nobody's racist. <laughs> the new 
the new Webster's definition of racism, a thing that isn't real. I'm yeah, gonna, I mean, honest to God, and I'm not trying to create like waves, but I used to think that racism meant doing something based solely based on the color of someone's skin, whether negative or positive. Now That's it's discrimination. Turned, yeah, well, now it's turned out to be power plus privilege privilege yeah now it's if you're in the majority party then whatever race you are if you're in the majority whatever race you are everything you do is racist yeah so you can't fix that yeah and that by that definition that would mean that in order to end racism the whole world would have to just go in a scramble to like move to each other's countries you know because like in china they're the majority they have the power so i guess all chinese people are racist or in uh uh india all the in the Indian people, I, I guess they're all racist now because they have power plus privilege in their own country. Uh, it's it's utterly ridiculous whenever you break it down. That, well, like, for instance, let's say there's an Indian person. You said this is discrimination, but I, I think it's not discrimination. I think it's it's racism. You're basing your decisions on someone's race. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's what I tried to say earlier. So let's say that there's a restaurant and you say that, you know, we really need to support Indian Indian people. So today let's buy every bit of our food from stores that are owned by Indian people. Well, is that not racist? Like, how about we make something very novel? Buy all the stuff you want from the best stores, no matter who, what the color of the skin of the owner is. Right, yeah, that's Um, meritocratic. Yeah, like, um, I think the second you take the ethnicity or the color of the owner's skin into account, that's racist. Yeah, yeah. It, that's that's my original definition. If you only came to my store to buy my food from me because I'm white. Yeah. Okay. So why doesn't that also why isn't that also true if you only went to buy the food from someone's store because they're an Indian? Well, I think what as I've understood racism and discrimination, the difference between the two is that there's positive and negative discrimination, right? You can positively discriminate for somebody. That That's what every employer does whenever they hire somebody. They positively discriminate. Oh, well, this guy has this degree and this experience, so that's the direction I want to go, right? That's a type of positive discrimination based on merit. Uh, when I think of racism, personally, uh, what I think of is you base it on like this idea of racial supremacy, and that that's not just locked down to white people. Like there are plenty of black supremacists. There are plenty of Asian supremacists out there. Like say, going back to your example, if somebody goes to your store to buy your product just because you're white, regardless of the quality, and if they do that just because you're white, because they think that the white race is superior and anything any other race makes is inferior by nature, then yeah, that, that's pure racism. If they dis- decide to discriminate because you're white, and they go there to buy your product in particular. Um, maybe, maybe they just feel more comfortable. That's also racist. But it, maybe they think that you are disadvantaged because you're white. Now I know that that's kind of turning the current concept up on its head. But let's just keep following that example. I don't really think that that's necessarily like a positive discrimination. I think that's uh, racism by low expectation. So it is all racist, but you have to get into the nuance of what type of racism it is. Um, yeah, basically, at the end of the day, whether you call it racism or not, I don't think there's anyone out there that can't agree that it's wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is absolutely Yeah, wrong. but somehow we're making it normalized and it's okay. 
Um, and, and the ironic thing is that they're they're doing that <laughs> to try to be anti-racist, which is is an utterly ridiculous concept to me. I mean, like to be anti-racist, it, it's kind of like um, uh, my wife and I always say that uh, the opposite of of love is not hate; it's indifference, right? So the only kind of anti like racism and anti-racism are just two different sides of the same coin. What you need to do is just be in, indifferent, you know, mm-hmm. because if you want to kill it, you kill it with indifference, you know? Okay. So this guy's black, this guy's white. Who cares? What are they capable of? That's who I'm going to hire. You know, if the black guy is more capable than the white guy, I'll take him. If the other way is true, I'll take him. It doesn't matter ultimately. And the more you make it matter, the more power that you give to the concept of racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I think that we need to quit going down this path as a society. Um, obviously we're both white, um, but it's not good for us. I mean, like, you know, I don't know how we can remedy things and grievances that other people have, but you know, um, there's got to be a way beyond just tearing everything that we've currently got established down. Oh no, that's the absolute dumbest possible solution that anybody could possibly come up with tearing everything that we have down. America is built on the concept of reformation. America is constantly reforming uh, its laws, uh, the way it operates everything because we have that capability built into our system, you know, the will of the people. Right. And that, that's what really sets us apart from other countries is that we have this ability to reform ourselves based on what is right. And what is right at the time might not be right tomorrow. Like what's right today might not be right tomorrow. Now, of course, there's a lot of pro- progress. I'm going to use air quotes here for progress that we've made that I think we could probably roll back on. But, uh, um, for the most part, you know, giving people an equal shot, that's the most important thing. And then that's the biggest thing. And I, I said that it's, it's giving everyone an equal opportunity. This yes. country gives people equal opportunity. It does. it does. What it doesn't give is equal outcome. Right. People though are, uh, conflating equal opportunity with equal outcome. You people don't, you can't guarantee everyone to have the same outcome. And that, and that's a very weak minded kind of way to approach things is to uh, assume that equality of outcome is fairness because, you know, then, then it becomes unfair to the people who are more capable. Cause I, I remember like getting locked into uh, some kind of a debate with this gentleman from the UK about uh, why I think that we should demonize communism as much as we demonize uh, fascism. And he disagreed with me because fascism, all that is, is just equality. And I'm like, or not fascism, but communism, all that is just like equality. I'm like, no, it's not. It it says it is. And and that's where they get you. They, they, they manipulate language. That's what these far left types do. But Gosh, the, that sounds so eerily similar to what's going on in this country right now. It really does, doesn't it? Yep. Um, but 
my, my main point to that is, uh, uh, I almost lost my train of thought there that, uh, they manipulate language to, uh, make it seem that way. And, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they say that it's just on the concept of, uh, from each, what he can, what he is capable of and to each, what he needs. And then what if it, what, what if you have a guy who's like a Renaissance man who's capable of doing a ton of stuff and then what's going to make him want to put as much in as he possibly can while the guy next to him, like maybe all that he can manage is to tie his own shoe. You know, he can dig a hole. That's about all he's got. I mean, he's a really good hole, but that's all he can do. So what would incentivize this Renaissance man, you know, a modern Leonardo da Vinci to put as much effort in as the guy who celebrates tying his left and right shoe and not having them come apart. What incentivize What incentive is there to put that much in? Yeah. There's, it would, there's not any. And that's unfair to those people. You see, ultimately something is going to be unfair to somebody. That's the nature of the world that we live in. That's the nature of living in a world with finite resources. I think that the issue of fairness is, is uh, relative to who's the vantage point you're looking at from the outside looking in, it might seem unfair, but to the people living it, if they're not as good, they're not going to tell themselves that's unfair. They're just going to say that guy was better than me. That guy was smarter than themselves. Right. Fairness is something that people are gauging from the outside looking in at a situation. It's not even, it's not, to be honest, it's not even a relevant thing to judge. Fairness is so, I don't know what you call subjective. It, it's, it's crazy, you know, the difference between how much money you make for a living versus how much money I make for a living. Someone from the outside would go, well, they don't make the same amount of money. That's not fair. Yeah. When I could say, well, I work harder physically. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could throw in there. I've made better decisions. And someone go, well, maybe it's not for them to decide. It's for the individuals you're comparing to compare. Yeah. And there was another thought that I had, like whenever we were talking about equality of opportunity, I mean, no doubt there are some people that inherit opportunity. You know, they are born in to uh, money. They're born into good financial decisions. And then, you know, you have somebody like me, you know, I, I was born into a hardworking family, but not the most financially literate family. And that's, and, and by the time, you know, I, I didn't really realize that any of this stuff, like what was going on until I was, I met you, honestly. Mm. Like, I think that I learned more from you financially than I've learned at any point in my life. And I, I very much appreciate the, all the things that you did teach me as far as that stuff goes. Uh, because if there's, you know, if there's one thing you are really good at, it is finance. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, what, what, what my point is there is then you say, okay, well, that's not too fair. I, was, I wasn't born in the right situation to make something out of myself. But then, you know, take a few steps back in history. How did you get to where you are? It took a parent or a grandparent or a great grandparent to set up a legacy. Now it comes back down to you. You realize this, you notice these things and what can you do? 
you can start turning your legacy around. A person can start to be the first generation of their family that uh, puts their their uh, legacy down a better path. Because if you if you look back in time, you know what about what about your case? I know that your dad's well off, mm-hmm. and his dad was well off. How yeah, did not, they get there? His parents weren't so much, but my mom's. Oh, you know, okay, they so worked the hard, I guess, and they they worked within societal norms, and you know, follow, you know, did what they had education, right, um, and things of that nature, you know, and they kept teaching their children, you have to work, <laughs> like you have to keep, right. yeah. Um, but what I want to say too is, I do agree with what you're saying, like with your situation. And what I would say is it's not necessarily so like you may not have been born into quite as good of a financial situation as most, but our government, this is what I argue with people. Our government is not using that to hold you down. No, it's they do grant multiple opportunities to help people. So the blame shouldn't be on our system. No, it's not, it's not the system's fault. And, And now it's also not your parents, you know, they probably, or your grandparents, they probably did the best they could and they raised you well. Um, you know, it's just, like you said, it's kind of a, a lot of this stuff. Sometimes you have to get the right current on the river and ride it. Yeah. There, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, there's, there's so many, there, there are so many things that come into play. Um, because you can be born into a very wealthy family and end up with nothing because you just don't have it. Yeah. You know, that. and I think a lot of people, there's drive. Like you've noticed with me, I have a lot of drive. I want to do more. Yeah, more. yeah. I'm always thinking about it. It's not like I'm just passively letting my w- life go by. Yeah. You, you, your situation, like, yeah, you, you were born with a leg up, but you use that leg up and then you've been continuing that. I think also, Going back to our president, that's what he did too. You know, he he was uh, born into a situation where he was uh, um, privileged enough to have that kind of generational knowledge of real estate and uh, how to do business. And he was given a limited amount of resources and he took that knowledge and he took his drive and he uh, he took all that and then he built an empire out of it because he had the drive to do it. Now, why do I, I have drive. I just, for myself, I just need to get on the right path, need to find the right path and be able to stay on that path. And then hopefully my children, I'll be able to instill in them some of the values that I've picked up, what I got from my grandparents, what I get from my environment, the things that I've learned and try to hope that they do better for themselves. And then my grandkids, maybe, maybe they'll be, my grandkids will be born into Mm -hmm. money. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not always totally about money. Um, But no, a lot of it's also about education. What can you, and that you don't necessarily have to make money with it, but you know, are your, are you, you know, your kids or your relatives or whoever, are they educated enough? Are they not just doofuses? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And uh, leeches on society. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I wanted to say, too, that part of the thing that makes me somewhat traditionalist, conservative, libertarian, actually, um, I think we've gone down a good avenue in this conversation. And I've said this here recently, you know, I, the government cannot provide answers. They can't solve things. They can't produce things. They just manage. 
thing. Yeah, they they can manage and, a direction and provide. Yeah, the a, way that I see things is the the, the American system, mm-hmm. where it's individual liberties, you right. know, capitalism. Do the best you can for yourself. Yeah. I know that seems to a lot of people to be so horrible. It's not. It's not. When you really think about it, you know, look at our small community here in Huntington, West Virginia. If you take, if if each family tries to do the best they can for themselves and their family and make a very good household. If everybody in the community does that for their families and their households are good, then their community is good. If their community is good, then their churches are good. If their churches are good, then the town is good. If the town's good, the county's good. If the county's good, the state's good. The state's good. The country's good. And it's not good because some president got elected and said, I will it to be good. <laughs> no, it all comes from the it boils down to the individual's freedom and ability to do for their own and make for their family and that and that alone makes it good. Yeah, and one other type of freedom that a lot of people don't really talk about and it's a very important freedom to have is the freedom to fail. We have to be allowed to fail. Uh, whether it be on a large scale or a small scale, because what failure, you know, that's just, that's just a part of life. Uh, Like death is a part of life. And then something new comes in its place. And then the cycle continues. Like if you are making poor decisions, then your poor decisions should not be rewarded. Like say what W did, you know, whenever he did his big corporate bailouts uh, too big to fail should not, even be part of our national vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that all that did was just take a bunch of taxpayer money and give a bunch of CEOs some real nice vacations. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was a huge mistake. And from here on, I'm really hoping that uh, the government does its best to as much as possible, just step out of the way. Just let us do our thing. Yeah. And I feel like that they're trying to do that which I find this argument also interesting. I feel like Trump is trying to leave the powers to municipalities and states and things. Yes. But yet he's being called a tyrant, which is the exact opposite of that. If Trump were being a tyrant, if Trump were really half of the dictator that he is accused of being, uh, things would look a whole lot different. We wouldn't be able to tweet about how much we hate him on uh, tweet on Twitter and we wouldn't be able to sit there on Facebook and talk about how he's literally Hitler uh, because if he was literally Hitler, then, well, we wouldn't be allowed to talk about that stuff for one thing. And for another thing, we'd probably be be uh, getting rounded up and putting on trains uh, to go to camps for a lot more than just a summer. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, the, the hyperbole... Uh, which a lot of people have called Trump derangement syndrome, which I think is a perfect, uh, um, a perfect way to, I don't know, diagnose it. Trump derangement syndrome. Would you agree that that's a pretty good term for it? Yeah. It's got people so twisted that they can't see clearly. And then the ironic thing is that you'll have uh, people who stand against him saying that he's the one who's divisive while it's actually everybody who's telling you that he's divisive, that's dividing you. It's saying, if you don't get divided, you're a bad guy. That's Mm -hmm. that. And, and that's never the truth. There's always more nuance 
to everything. Like, and like I was saying before, whenever we had like these discussions about COVID right from the beginning, back in March, I always said, I think the truth lies is probably somewhere in the middle. And it turns out, I think that the truth lied a little bit closer to your side of the middle. I will concede that. Amen, brother. <laughs> I will definitely concede that. I still, I still remember the day that the mask fell off. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, was like you know, as soon as that first big Portland slash Minneapolis Black Lives Matter thing, where there were so many people gathered up, no masks, no social distancing, burning houses down, and then you had these nurses coming out and clapping for them and cheering them on while they were also telling us that by going outside and having a barbecue or saying, uh, going to church or something like that, that we were stabbing these nurses in the back. Give me a break. Who stabbed who in the back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're saying that over, over 20% of churches in the United States will never congregate again. Never again. Really? Never again. Oh my gosh. You know, what what do they always tell you? You know, if you do something how many times in a row it becomes habit? 27 or something. Yeah, that's the rule of 27. That's yeah. a big well, thing about How many learning. how many times do you not have to do something in a row before it is gone? 27, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you don't go to church for 6 months. Part of going to church is it is a habit. Yeah. Well, it's no longer becoming a habit. It is no longer a habit. These people will not return. But um, that makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, what, what, what is it? It's, just, it's fascinating. I don't want to say necessarily from the get go that there was a point or a purpose to all this. But it was definitely used. It was definitely used. And the outcome of it is going to be hor- horrible. We're already in the doldrums in this country morally. And I don't want to say that I'm in the moral high ground. I'm not better than anybody else. But it's a fact. You know, parenting has been. Not as good, you know, with social media and with all of the, all the cell phones, you know, we're always myself included looking at my cell phone, even though I got kids running around, you know, I'm not being attentive enough to what actually matters and what's going to make things better. And here church, the last bastion in this country, churches, uh, you know, things like that, that, that try to keep you on the straight and there, they're, they're going to start closing their doors and never open again. How can that possibly be better than actually congregating in a couple dozen or, you know, whatever the amount of people getting the virus is. How can it possibly be better? We're talking about the life and history henceforth for the entire world. You're right. Not not just short-term virus cases. Church and church attendance henceforth for eternity. You're right. And I... I want, I want to add something to that, and I think that a lot of it boils down to uh, the kind of mindset that's been drilled into us uh, as not just Americans, but as Westerners, where we value the individual over the group, which I'm okay with that, honestly, on, on the aggregate. Uh, it is better to value the individual over the group, because if that's the case, if you value the group of the individual that is very easy to commit injustice against the individual, you know, because, ah, well, he's saying things that don't really agree with. So and throw him in the chamber. Um, no, that's not acceptable. 
But and if you don't agree with us yeah. agreeing to that, we'll throw you guys in the chamber too. Yeah. So yeah. everybody agrees mm-hmm. with you. Exactly. But what my point is is that there is there is one positive aspect uh, of that kind of collectivist thinking, and it's that. And I, I'm specifically thinking about China and the Chinese way of thinking is that they tend to think in terms of uh, generations. Mm-hmm. They tend to think in terms of society and the direction that society goes. And the the COVID lockdowns, it's, it's all about me, 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 me. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get COVID. I don't want this to hurt me. But by everybody locking down and not doing anything, that's going to hurt us in yes. the long run. Yeah. Yep. On that on that note, um, I want to keep talking, but we kind of got to wrap it up. You know, we're, we should we're, have another yeah. future thing. Let's do this in the future. Um, I got my son; I can hear coming in from school. So, if the you know those listening, we're recording this kind of smack dab in the middle of the day after a golf scramble that Steve and I have attended and lost. Yeah, and lost. And my son is starting to come in, and he's going to want to talk to his daddy. So here I am saying that we need to be more attentive to our children. So, so let's I'm do it. Do it. Yeah. So uh, guys, uh, everybody that's listening, I uh, hope you enjoyed. I hope you haven't taken too much of this personally, too personally. None of it was intended for that. It was to make you think. Steve, Casey, been thank you for helping to enlighten us within this divide. I'll talk to you later, man. Yeah, it's been great. Use their mind to hollow out the stones This will be our little secret Cross your heart and hope to die today Time will pass us by And we can be gone within the blink of an eye We can hold each other in the eye of the storm We will be strong against the face of the Little boys, the outside world is not compatible with me. Shut the door on your haters. Call again when hell is frozen over. Yes, I mean it. This will be our little secret. Cross your heart and hope to die today. Time will pass us by.
we can hold it to 